Hello and welcome to the Voice Extra podcast. Today I am here with Tom, in- Tom Innes and we are here to talk about Tedder. So, uh, Tom, would you like to give them kind of like a plot description, I guess? No. Um, I I mean, how can you? I'll I'll use the IMDb one, um, which is armed with only one word, tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world. A protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Yeah. The description maybe like overstates the degree to which the film actually inverts reality, but that's mostly it. And the plot doesn't get much more interesting than that. Uh, this protagonist, who is literally called the protagonist, is played by John David Washington, and he's kind of like giving a very a very movie style performance. He's very much giving you like a male lead kind of thing. It's very standard I guess but it's good I like it and I think anyone who can deliver the line I'm the protagonist twice without like laughing is a good actor in my book yeah I would agree with that it, he he delivered a um good performance with what he had yeah there were so many corny one-liners all that it was it was bad <laughs> um, apparently <laughs> it was so bad it was yeah. good <laughs> if only if this film took itself less seriously it would be so bad it was good at points but um i think he even did his own stunts uh couldn't tell you but like i'm i'm going to diverge slightly from you i think the film was an enjoyable romp for what it was worth but as you said it took itself too seriously and um yeah it it thought it was too clever yeah for delivering what and it wrapped itself up in a lot of science that failed to mask what was quite a simple premise and the twists and the plot turns weren't clever or surprising they were just like oh yeah here we go it sounds like with all the christopher nolan of it all with all the mystery mystique you put around it with everything like that you'd think this was some sort of world-changing film and it kind of isn't (laughs) <laughs> it's very much even like, though he sold it as one yeah it's very much just an action blockbuster with a cool premise um which is fine but yeah. not i mean really it awesome. was big enough for both of us to risk catching covid to go and see it in the cinema this is fair but i i'll, I'll watch anything if i'm allowed to be loud and have opinions online so you know it's the internet everyone's allowed an opinion Tao. yeah this is true but yeah i could be all i can be informed and all that. But yeah, it was a fun film to watch, even though I wouldn't recommend getting COVID for it. Um, yeah. What surprised me, I went um, when it opened, and there were seven people in the viewing with me. There were more people watching New Mutants than there were watching Tenet. See, there were a decent amount of people in my viewing. Uh, mm, London, the... innit? Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but yeah, um, so in, a, in this movie, we've got four leads. We've got, um, John David Washington as the protagonist. We've already kind of gone over that. We've got Robert Pattinson as Neil. Again, he's like giving a good performance, but there is not much to his character. It kind of just comes and goes. Like, he's... Charming. Charming. He's very charming. Like, yeah. yeah. Pattinson is, he has a lot of range. 
um, and is very charming in this film. That's less to do with the script and more to do with him, to be honest. <laughs> like, oh, I think the script is actively working against him because yeah. it tries to make him all mysterious, but he's not. Because the reason yeah. he's acting all mysterious is not to like be a good spy and protect his identity. It's literally so that the um, the twist can be shrouded for a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. And I think there's a there's a weird thing where a lot of the exposition gets dumped onto him. Like yeah. There's a, this film has a problem of of having a character sit John David Washington down and like talk at him for five minutes about how the science works, and it doesn't help that it's badly the sound is really badly mixed. You can barely hear. Yeah, the I was going to say in that five minute of exposition, you can hear maybe about a minute and a half of it at a time. Yeah, and these yeah. exposition dumps are not particularly interesting. Uh, there's a whole conversation about the grandfather paradox which is like the most tropey thing to talk about in a sci-fi in a time traveling film yeah it's a level it's a level philosophy everything uh i think i described it somewhere as he nolan feels like he's just read an encyclopedia on time travel and that kind of area of theoretical physics and is insistent on telling you everything about it so he'll throw in words like entropy and like um, talk about reversing entropy and oh, we're inverting things and we're, and it. None of the words matter. None of it matters. <laughs> if I'm honest, nobody will do the grandfather paradox better than Futurama. <laughs> I mean, yeah. At least this film certainly isn't approaching that. Um, yeah. Well, at least Futurama knew what it was. Yeah. And took itself like with the amount of seriousness could command yeah and this really doesn't um yeah. so yeah we've got really that fun. we've got elizabeth the bicky as cat uh uh she's paired with kenneth brenner as the villain of the film andre sator who is a russian arms dealer and if i say russian arms dealer in an american film that's basically the his character and you understand everything about his character through that and it's a very like cliche performance or a cliche character, and Kenneth Branagh is doing way too much, and it's just like, he's trying to give some, especially there's a particular monologue in the film, where he monologues about being a tiger, and you're just like, please, and it's in this very extra Russian accent, and you're like, please, Kenneth. So we've, like... Inside baseball here, this is the second time we're recording this podcast because my internet died, and it's the second time now that I've heard this Tiger um, monologue be mentioned, and I don't even remember it. Do you not remember <laughs> I don't remember it at all. I've been sitting here quietly just trying to think, what was this it's Tiger in, monologue? It's in the mi- this is kind of telling about the film, but uh, it's in the middle of a... Um, he has a, like... So basically, the the dynamic between him and Elizabeth Debicki's cat is that he's an abusive husband, both physically and uses the child as a form of as a way to control her. And it's like almost the the abuse is hand the abuse story is handled awfully. Elizabeth Debicki is written character is written awfully. It's very much every trope you could think of uh, in terms of oh her only tro- her only real character is motherhood. And it doesn't do it in an interesting way, all of that. And the psychological abuse stuff is almost more interesting. And I say almost by the level of writing in this film, but it's not particularly interesting. But then there's the physical abuse stuff, which is 
if it wasn't this topic, it is like comically bad. It is like ridiculous how bad it's handled. It's like, oh yeah. Uh, this... Yeah, it was put in to give them something to do to like try and compound how bad a person Andre is, but it's like, yeah, we, we get it. He's trying to end the world. Yeah, we don't. We know he's a bad character. We don't <laughs> need to see him physically and mentally abuse his wife Yeah, to do it. Or if we do make something of it, try yeah. and say something about it or like use that to supplement her personality and her character rather than that basically being the driving force oh. For her inclusion in this film, yeah, it's it's like the it's cheap heat for Andre for um Brannock's character, yeah. like the biggest example of, or one of the easiest examples of that. And yeah, you're right. Basically, the abuse stuff is also partially just to, like there's no reason for her to be in this film apart from that. Like she just feels like, like this. I mean, whole she has a role film, at yeah. the end of the film, but again, that is driven by her traumas inflicted yeah. upon her by him and yeah and it's very much like for her because her character being in this film does not make sense without the trauma and abuse and it's like you couldn't figure out a, any way to make her stick around or to give elizabeth debicki's character anything to do in this film without having to invoke abuse in a way that's really flat and bad mm. yeah and i I take issue with how uh, integral she seems to be for the protagonist to do anything. Like, the antagonist seems to be motivated quite heavily by saving her or helping her or, like, he owes some sort of debt to her. It's like, you've been brought on to save the world. And... You seem to you like you seem to be acting only in the interest of this one character who you've known for a day and have generated as much aggro for almost as the husband. It... Yeah, and then the the problem is that like if this was a film where the characters meant anything and their relationships meant anything, I could at least buy it as a oh yeah they're just it's they really care about each other and you know it's it's this thing where the lead has to figure out whether he wants to save the world or save someone he cares about and uh, like all that I could buy it on that slightly cheesy level but because there's no real sense of character outside of what the performers are giving you're just like why did these people care about each other <laughs> yeah yeah that, I think that's exactly what it comes down to why do these characters care about each other and like, and I don't yeah. have an answer and it's kind because of, we're told that they yeah. do we're told it's, we're, we're told but we're never really the script never really gives us like them oh chilling together and being friends or whatever. There's none of that. Well, they do spend that two weeks. They do spend that two weeks in a cargo hold, but we can't hear their character development because <laughs> the mixing's so bad. Yeah, and then we're never shown any of that. It's just like any time that those sort of moments are going to happen, it's just oh, we're cutting now. We're having really sharp editing across this really two weeks. Really sharp editing. We don't care. Yeah, and it's like. You want us to care about these characters, but also have no interest in showing them in a real way. Um, but one of the things which I did think, which I did actually like, because I didn't hate this film as much as it sounds like I did, um, <laughs> was that the time travel looked cool. Yeah, it like I would agree with that. Looks very, it looks very cool, and the practical effects on a lot of it really work. 
like there's this um see this fight sequence where you see it going forward in time and you see it in reverse and i and as much as you could kind of see it coming in terms of actually watching it on screen it was very cool to see oh yeah i mean that was the point where i was like okay i know exactly how this all pans out now um when i saw that the first time but yeah visually it's stunning but it's a christopher nolan film you would expect nothing less yeah and also, like, cinematographer Hoi Van Hoytema is a great cinematographer. Like, you've got an all-star team here. There is no reason for this cinematography to be anything other than incredible. Yeah, um, I agree. And it is. Um, and as we were talking about the sound, I love the score, and I like the... I like the way the sound is designed, but not the way it's mixed, if that makes sense. No, 100%. Because, like, I, I like the, okay, we're just going to be loud here. We're going to have this moment of just intense Ludwig Goranson score. And, like, I'm very here for it. <laughs> but I would also like to hear what people say. I was going to say, so was Nolan, because he thought it was more important <laughs> than being able to hear what was happening. Yeah. Or what was being discussed. Which would be fine if there weren't so many big periods of exposition dump. Yeah. And I were then lost. Yeah. I'm going to talk about some... Because this is... The sound mixing is a thing which comes up as an issue in a lot of his films. Um, Mm. And one thing he said uh, after... In response to criticism about interstellar sound mixing in 2014 is, I don't agree with the idea that you can only achieve clarity through dialogue. Clarity of story, clarity of motions. I tried to achieve that in a very layered way using all the different things at my disposal. Picture and sound. I've always loved films that approach sound in an impressionistic way, and that is an unusual approach for a mainstream blockbuster. But I feel it's the right approach for this experiential film. Mm. And I kind of think that it is that is a nonsense diversion. I think they're layered wrong. <laughs> is the tool and the short of it. It's like if you're cutting a video together in Premiere Pro, he's put like the subtitles behind the actual picture so you can't see it. That's yeah. what it's like with dialogue and score. It doesn't yeah. work. And I think the thing as well is that an impression if an impressionistic piece of art, you fundamentally learn all you need to know from what is being presented to you. The impressionism doesn't get in the way of you receiving the information or the emotion. It will still have an effect on you, regardless of whether if you wanted to do a thing where you're saying, I'm conveying an emotion and the dialogue doesn't matter then the film has to work without the dialogue. This film does not work without the dialogue because it's because the dialogue explains what's going on because it doesn't make sense if you don't hear the dialogue. I mean, it, it does and it doesn't work. It's like, <clears throat> like you said, we both enjoyed this film and it is great to just be on that ride and watch it and have that visual spectacle. But I mean, if he's trying to, and he is trying to, make this very clever yeah. metaphysical film that doesn't work. Yeah. Let me rephrase if that. If yeah, you are right. not explaining it, it to doesn't. People. It doesn't work on the level that Nolan wants it to work at. If you don't understand the dialogue, it works as a silly blockbuster. If you don't understand it, like I have a friend who watched it in like Spanish and like, still basically understood the same amount. Like if you're watching it as a silly blockbuster, the dialogue doesn't matter and it works, but if it's meant to be this whole, like, meditation. And there's a bunch of, like, pseudo-philosophy in there, and it doesn't matter. 
none of the dialogue yeah. in this film matters if i'm frank yeah. no it's all about the visual spectacle yeah. and i'm gonna try and say this again and see whether or not i'm wondering now whether or not i said something so like <laughs> awful my internet cut me off so it could never be heard so i'm gonna have another go um have has nolan now reached the point where his films are so spectacular and so visually impressive but the characters increasingly have limited scope is he now on the same sort of level as like michael bay i would argue that he's been on that a lot of the time he is on the same level as michael bay it seems he has a thing where he puts prestige window dressing on his films as in he operates in the language of prestige film like in terms of how he presents the films in terms of who he puts in the films but when you actually take away all the prestige window dressing, a lot of the time he's just doing very good blockbusters. Mm. I like the use of the word prestige as well, because that's a 2006 film by yep. Nolan. <laughs> but it's one it's of my like, favourite films, as it goes. Because, uh, like, for example, Dunkirk, uh, which is, yeah, the most other most recent uh, Nolan, I think. Um, as much as the cinematography and the all that stuff in that film is incredible. It's not really a film that says much. And there's not much going on there apart from cinematography. So again, it has like that prestige window dressing. It's like, oh, look, this is filmed beautifully. But the film doesn't actually say much. Mm. And I would argue that Nolan is discussed in terms of authorship and prestige film or whatever in a way that isn't entirely earned, at least in a lot of his work. Yeah, uh, I yeah, or it's been earned, but now he's kind of been given a free ride. Yeah. Like, for example, I think a thing that was consistent in a lot of the criticism of the film, uh, from the people who gave it five stars, was like, hey, I didn't understand it, but clearly that means it's really intelligent. And it's like, no. Uh, yeah. Because right. it because it is this presumption of as you're saying he's given this free pass it's this presumption that oh if I don't understand it it must be because I'm stupid and so I'll go watch it three times it's like no 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 you don't understand it because it's communicated badly this is not a complicated film anytime you don't understand okay not anytime but the majority of the things that aren't obvious in the film are because of bad filmmaking choices. <laughs> Yeah. As opposed to, like, the sound mix. Predominantly mixing. Yeah. As opposed to anything actually being complicated. This is, if I wrote this plot on paper, it is very simple. Yeah. I mean, the plot, at its very simplest, could be described as people at the end of the world want to save the world by going back in time. Yeah. That's, that's... But in doing so, we'll destroy the way of living in the present. Yeah. And it's like, that's basically like there is nothing insightful or complicated or anything like that it's, it's just a blockbuster with prestige window dressing like if this is this is i think the thing that like gets me is this film would be so much better if nolan just admitted that hmm. because then the, should the nolan admit it or should more. we admit it he's no because i think there's a difference i think sometimes filmmakers get prestige Ness, like projected onto them I think Nolan is trying he is trying to make this insightful or not insightful necessarily he's trying to make it this insight this like prestige thing like the way he talks about his film and the way he writes the film 
gives the impression of someone who is trying to be smart and trying to show off how smart he is. It's, I don't think this is just critics projecting onto an Nolan film. If you go, I mean. Yeah. Uh, no, I do. I'm just trying to decide whether or not I agree. I think I do. I think I do. Because there definitely is that sense of him bigging his films up, um, which is obviously what a director will do until it gets panned. And then they're like, yeah, well, this, that and the other. He is definitely building up a narrative around his films. I mean, um, the primary example of this is with the sound mixing. Every time Christopher yeah. Nolan gets confronted about his sound mixing being bad, uh, it's an artistic choice. It's not, exactly. Every time, like this has been a thing for years. Every time he's confronted about it, he says it's an artistic choice. So he clearly thinks he's doing something. <laughs> better choices, yeah. And it's just like, no, just accept that you make very good blockbusters and just yeah. do that. You are now a blockbuster filmmaker. And, like, that's fine. And I think it's fine. And it's just this thing where he has to prove how smart he is and how... And to quote one of my notes, which Tom found hilarious before the recording, <laughs> Nolan is a nerd in the most exhausting way. It's like he has it's to just the use of the word you, exhausting. He has to tell you how, how smart he is. And you're like, no one... 95% of your audience don't care. 99% of your audience aren't physicists. Like... And I don't, and if anything, the way he draws attention to like the science and the physics actually makes it, makes you more likely to pick holes in it. Because when I watch a time travel film or time travel piece of media, I am more than willing to accept that we're going to break some of the laws of science to make this work. Yeah. But because he has to keep insisting that it actually works and it's actually scientifically accurate. You start to pick holes and be like, mm, that doesn't make sense. Mm, that doesn't make sense. Mm, that doesn't make mm. sense. If you get what I mean. But we're not physicists. We don't know if it does or doesn't make sense. <sighs> I, or I'm I, certainly not. I don't know what you get out to in your spare I'm time. I'm not a <laughs> physicist, but I can almost definitively say there are parts of that film which don't make sense. <laughs> because yeah. at best, it's operating on like an inter... Uh, very loose interpretation of particular theories like i it doesn't feel like he has an in-depth knowledge of how time travel works because no one does so like... yeah which comes back to that interstellar um film he worked with a theoretical physicist on that whose name i am completely blanking on and i apologize to him but like uh that physicist insisted that everything in the film have at least some basis in scientific reasoning and logic. And then Nolan would sort of try and push against that or say he wanted to do something and send the physicist away to try and come up with something that makes it work. <laughs> and it, yeah, it is very much like trying to bend science to fit around the story, which is fine. But I think you just got to acknowledge that. Except that time travel is silly. And will always be silly until we know how it actually works. <laughs> yeah, which I don't think we ever will. But yeah, it's a good film. It's fine. It's a good watch. What I think this was the film that cinema needed to bring it back out. I don't know how well it's actually doing at the moment. I think it's doing well for the conditions. Mm. Much better than New Mutants. Oh, bless it. That's it. Poor little poor 
New Mutants. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I would also agree. I think it's great spectacle. Even though in the the at points it's doing too much on screen, like um in the climax of the film, there is so much going on that I honestly like zoned out <laughs> of like this at the specific things which were happening for like periods stretches of time. Do you know what I mean? Like in that climax where there is so much happening. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether or not, it, like when you say you zoned out, do you mean you just stopped? caring and were just again absorbed in that moment rather than trying to actually follow what was going on yes like i was watching the film obviously but what i mean is yeah i was like i kind of just was like no there's no point engaging this climax on like a focus level i will just let it i'm just gonna take it for what it is and enjoy it as it is yeah well i think that's that's the that's the strap line of this film isn't it yeah just like let it wash over you and that'll be good. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Do you think you would have received it better if you'd have just watched it on a streaming platform? No. Uh, because I think a lot of it is very reliant on watching it in a cinema because of the spectacle. It's, it has it does the same thing as 1917 or Dunkirk did for me, where if I didn't find the spectacle so amazing, I would struggle. Like I would not be able to watch 1917 at home because I don't care about those characters or plot. Unless I have a really cool sound system. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to push it back. I'm going to say this was better than 1917. I mean, it's better than 1917, yeah. I just mean it's that same thing of a lot of it is reliant on spectacle. And when I'm at home with my little laptop, it's spectacle isn't as much of a factor yeah no okay so i mean in a way then he was right and accurate that this was a cinema experience i completely understand why he wanted this to be out in the cinema and not on streaming (laughs) yeah yeah how long do you reckon it will be until it hits streaming platforms given that it isn't making again i'm assuming it or it definitely can't be making the money that it would be if Uh... we weren't in a pandemic I don't know. I think it will still take a while because I'm sure Nolan is in. Because do you remember when um, Warner that when it when it wasn't getting delayed and everyone was very confused and then Warner Brothers were basically like, yeah, uh, Nolan's telling us we can't delay it. <laughs> um, this that was basically the vibe. So I think he'll probably like push them to not put it out on DVD for ages. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's star power, isn't it? When you can dictate to the studio what you want to do, you yeah, don't really have many directors studio. that can do that anymore. Like, uh, A24 and stuff let people do that, but they're not, they're working with in a very indie space. They're not big blockbusters. Yeah, it's strange. It's strange. Although maybe now we are going to see a bit of a research in um, directorially led films rather than studio led films. What makes you say that? Because the Snyder Cut's coming out, baby! It's that, coming. <laughs> that's, that's not exactly direct, uh, an example of like authorship coming back. That's an example of... Well, it is now, yeah. Uh, H, um, Warner Brothers and AT&T. H- AT&T yeah, yeah. Realize, or AT&T realising that they might as well do this thing a ton of fans have been begging them for because they have the footage there and they can just resell a film that they've already made 
Oh, but four hours, though. Yeah. I mean, it's Zack Snyder, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, yeah. No. The trailer was very, um, there. Saying hallelujah. Yeah. Over, uh, is, no. It just, as a, no. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to it. It was very nothing as a trailer. I thought it was an incredibly spiteful trailer. I loved it. It was like, here's a trailer where I'm not going to show a single scene that was in the actual film that was yeah. released. It is very Love like, it. Look at all these things which are mine. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to be good, but it will be different, maybe, somewhat. Yeah. I'm I'm in it for the spectacle at this point, which... <laughs> yeah, I will not be... Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I don't know. I'm not exactly going to be paying the most attention. I'm not going to lie. I'm not the biggest <laughs> Zack Snyder fan. Uh, no, but the characters are interesting to me. So, <laughs> I mean, you yeah. are the person with the Batman tattoo. So yes, you would say that. Yeah, I would say that. And, you know, Ben Affleck, great, great interpretation of Batman. I am not going to go into that. <laughs> well, <laughs> take it from the man who's got the Batman tattoo on his arm. <laughs> I think... I prefer Ben Affleck's Batman to Christopher Nolan's Batman. I don't disagree. I yeah. It's very I, rare we hear that, but yeah. Um. I'm not the biggest fan of Christian Bell and his weird baritone, so I'm fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, Robert Patterson looks like he's going to do an infinitely more interesting performance than either of them, but we shall see. Shall we wrap up on Tenet? Yeah, then? we We're... should wrap up. <laughs> okay. So, final verdict, Tom. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What, what are we thinking? I mean, it's Is a it thumbs up. It's not a bad for... Oh, I mean, there's very little worth getting COVID-19 for. Um, certainly not, like, a film like Me Mutants. Is Tenet worth it? I don't know. I think... I agree with you that, yes, it's probably worth seeing in the cinema. Is it worth seeing it right now in this current moment? Hard to say. I'd give it a three. I'd give it three stars. It was a fine film. It yeah. just didn't change cinema, and I have not had like a life changing experience from it. I don't remember big chunks of it now, and it's only been a couple, well, three or four days since I've seen it. Yeah, I would also say very three stars. Not that memorable, but big spectacle, cool performances. Um, yeah, uh, go watch it if you're bored and feel very safe doing so. Otherwise, I'd say... Wear a mask. Wait. Yes, please do. Um, in any case, Tom, where would people find you online if they want to talk to you about the Snyder Cut? If they want to talk to me about the Snyder Cut, uh, you can have my personal phone number. Uh, but, so I can be found on the internet. If you just Google Tom Innes, I-N-N-I-S-S, you can find me basically anywhere. I'm the editor of Voice. So post opinions on there, uh, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, all of it. Tell Tom he's wrong on voicemag.uk and make him edit it. Um... Mm. <laughs> okay, so today's episode was made possible by Voice Magazine, an online platform for young people interested in art and culture. You can read all the posts by that of voice on voicemag.uk. You can find Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at voicemaguk on all those platforms. Voice contributors also have our own Instagram account at voice.extra. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider helping us to make more with a donation of any amount at voicemag.uk. If you can't help financially, it helps just to share stuff on social media, 
tell your friends, tell anyone, I don't know, tell your local Batman stan. Um, if you're looking for another podcast to listen to, the Voice Magazine podcast has weekly interviews with artists and leaders in the creative sector. Lots of different stuff there. Very interesting. Go listen, please. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for the use of the track Shaving Mirror. You can find more of his work on incompetech.com. And last but not least, Tom Innes is the executive producer of this podcast. So he can finally be on the podcast when I say he's the executive yeah. producer. And <laughs> please direct all your love and or hatred towards him as the executive producer, please. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to have to take my headphones off because my head's getting too big now. Um. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.